Well, thank you. It's always an honor to be here, and it's always an enjoyment. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and both to see folks that we've known for many years and folks uh, that are new and uh, come up and say, hey, I, I've never met you before, but uh, so glad you came today and such. Those are the folks that show the church is living and growing, so we're grateful for that. I learned a couple other lessons today. I learned that um, I, when I get to heaven, I want my voice to be like your pastor. I never had that really in my mind exactly how my voice should be in heaven. But man, you have got a great voice. So uh, I'm, putting in, I'm, I'm putting in my request. I'll tell you that right now. The other thing I learned is that uh, although the pulpit was actually built for my height, the flowers aren't. We always requested short vases. <laughs> no. I can see over them. I'm okay. And uh, I'm just kidding you a little bit there. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly glad to be here. And I'm praying for your pastor, without a doubt. And I'm going to ask you to turn to a passage, but we're not going to be there for quite a while, for several minutes at least. And, and so uh, the, uh, the fellow in the PA asked me about my title and, and uh, about a text. And I said, well... I'm not going to give you a text because we're not going to get there for a while. Uh, and so just open your Bible to John chapter 10, if you would, but don't expect to hear me read that yet. Okay? John chapter 10, and I, I want to set a little background for us. I want to talk about Jesus and the time in which he lived and the world in which he lived. And when Jesus was living on earth, he was birthed and grew to adulthood in an agricultural centered world, agriculturally centered world. Uh, for centuries, that kind of culture was the, the normal, the normal uh, kind of relationship, vocations, the normal kind of, uh, uh, of, of challenges had to do with agriculture or some things that were close uh, because between having to grow all the food, an essential to life, right? Grow all the food for a, a village, a town, a city, and uh, grow the herds that could be uh, slaughtered for meat. In addition to that, maybe the fishing industry. So between fishing, especially in the Middle East, especially in uh, Israel and the surroundings that Jesus lived in, between fishing and farming, the vast majority of folks found their vocations. Now, that's a little different for us today. If we had that uh, zombie apocalypse and suddenly there was nothing, you know, you couldn't... How many of you would be able to go out in the countryside, pick out some area, and start a farm from scratch? Um, a few. There's always a few. That's good. But for the most part, I'd say, where are the cans of corn? Okay. I even like the small white whole potatoes in cans. I do, personally. Uh, okay. So, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. I'm not agriculturally oriented. My pastor grew up on a farm in Indiana, and he knows lots of stuff about farming. Uh, but um, not me. No. And so, the culture of Jesus' day 
was this agricultural, natural, with uh, hunting and fishing, not so much hunting, uh, but herdsmen raising animals for food and fishing. That was the life that, that Jesus would know a lot about. And of course, he was not a farmer. He was the son of a uh, stepson, the, but the, the son of a carpenter raised in a carpenter's home. It's likely that he would learn that skill as a carpenter. So that might be a little different, but even so, he could use illustrations and, and such about everyday life, and folks would immediately understand. Now, in the, 1900, in the 1800s, the 19th century, a lot of great commentaries on the Bible were written by Bible-believing, born-again Christians. And they coined some phrases, and one of them was this phrase to describe the culture where everything revolves around some very natural, some very natural things like farming and husbandry and fishing. They call that an oriental viewpoint. Now, it didn't have anything to do with geography. It wasn't about where countries are located or it wasn't about what's in Asia and what's in Europe and what's in Africa. It was just a term that had to do with this concept, whether in Asia or Africa or Europe or the Middle East, that had to do with learning naturally as you grow up, experiencing, experiencing livestock, experiencing plants and crops, experiencing the life of a fisherman. Maybe it was your relative, maybe a neighbor. Maybe you just got to know the fellow that sold you fish, but you experienced that. It was part of your life. And that word oriental was coined to describe that. So from those books of that era, we learn that Jesus had an oriental mindset, which meant that when he taught, he used illustrations that folks knew without being taught. So he used illustrations from the natural world that God created and the majority of vocations. And when he preached, his listeners could identify right away. For example, Oriental thinking depended on looking at the land and the plants and the animals and the people. For example, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 Old Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, go to the anthouse sluggard and consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. One of my favorite photos of my oldest son, who is now in his mid-50s, one of my favorite photos is when he was four years old or three years old, and he's got one of those little banana seat things that you push, kick with your feet, and you run around on a hard surface like a parking lot. And he, he's put that to the side, and he's down on his hands and knees, and he's got his nose about two inches from an ant. And he's looking at this ant. That's Oriental culture. He's learning from the ant, right? So go to the ant, thou sluggard. Or how about this one? Matthew 6:28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Raiment is an older word that means clothing. So why are you worried about what you're wearing? 
Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. And then the Lord Jesus, in his, in his teaching, uh, says that God is clothing them with finery, with something beautiful. Why would we worry about what our wardrobe is like? Why would we worry about what we're going to wear? And, of course, this was a population that he was speaking to that were not prosperous. They weren't wearing very expensive things. But worries about how we'll meet our needs are part of mankind's daily thinking in life, right? And so Jesus was saying, don't worry about having what you need. Why, look, at that, look at that lily of the field. That lily has everything. That's that cultural oriental viewpoint saying, I'm going to use this beautiful plant as my illustration. Because folks know what that plant looks like. And they're going to identify with that right away. My third illustration, Luke 15, 15, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Oh, Luke 15. We're in the middle of the story we often call the prodigal son. And the prodigal son asked his dad for his inheritance ahead of time, took it, wasted it all on partying, on food and drink and women, wasted it all, and ends up, Feeding swine. Swine, pigs. Pigs. My mom and my stepdad bought a home in Ithaca, New York. And the home was about three-quarters of a mile up Snyder Hill. It was Snyder Hill Road. Three-quarters of a mile up. And at the base of that hill, at an intersection, the Cornell University Veterinary School had their pig farm. Now, on a day when the wind was blowing east to west, there was no problem. But on a day when the winds decided to go northerly, woo, wow. When we say pigs are unclean, that's not just the sense of the Bible, well, they're not to be eaten. That's like, yo, they are unclean. They are filthy critters. And when it was like that, and then you drove by the pens, you noticed it more, and so you were like, oh, I hope I get by this soon. But as you looked, they were covered with mud and all kinds of stuff. Yuck. Once I experienced that, you never have to explain to me what swine might be like. They're not the cute little animal in the, in the ABC storybook in kindergarten. Likewise, every single person that lived in Palestine at the time of Jesus would completely understand what that guy, that prodigal son, was going through to, to be in the swine pit and think about eating the garbage that they're going to eat. Man, that's desperation. So the Lord didn't have to explain all that like I just did. He used the life experiences of the people around him. The life experiences, sickness, injury, death, they're close up, part of the real world. All these lessons and episodes drew on everyday experiences, and the Lord used them to teach very profound lessons 
Now, another part of that culture is this. You've learned to follow the example of others, someone that's skilled. You didn't read a book and figure out how to plant seed for your field. You didn't read a book and figure out what does it mean to harvest and when. How do I know if this grain is ready? From year to year it might be different. Different seasons of rain, different seasons of scorching sun. And to know when that field is ready to harvest, what did the Lord say? White unto harvest. How did young farmers know? They grew up and they listened and they watched and they saw how older people, experienced people, how they ran their farm. How does a fisherman learn to know where the fish are? He watches and listens and soon it might be almost intuitive. Soon it might be, it might seem to just be a natural a natural facet of life. Oh, I know where to go for the fish. I know the time of day. I know the season. I know when the fish are moving from one area to another. I, but you don't know that without the experience of those above you in age teaching you. That was a part of this oriental culture. And so, as Jesus taught, he reminded listeners and other, and other of the, the Bible prophets, the Bible writers, reminded us to have respect for elders, to have respect for people that are older, not to criticize them without reason, not to belittle them, not to think, oh, I know more than they do. We've just started the freshman year at New England Baptist College, and uh, we have a good incoming uh, freshman group. We have 17 new freshmen, uh, including, uh, and, and then we have Amanda with us who's uh, transferred in. She's not a freshman. She's going to be finishing there with her circumstances and such. That was best for her. But we have a lot of new faces. And as a faculty member, sometimes we're just waiting. Which of these students, in a Christian college with Christian backgrounds, which of these students is going to act like they know far more than any faculty member? Does that happen in high school and elementary school too? Probably. We haven't encountered that yet. Maybe we've got a year when that's not going to happen. But from time to time, there is someone. There's a pastor, there's a pastor in uh, Massachusetts, Webster, Massachusetts, uh, uh, who's become a good friend of mine. Uh, he was a student of mine in his year, earlier years and graduated and has, and has been pastoring for several years. I remember the first time I saw him in class. You know, you're going over the syllabus. You're, you're going over the thing. Okay, you have to come to class this many times a week, and you're going to have homework. And we're going to have quizzes, and they're going to count this percentage and that percentage. You know, those are the parts of teaching that are boring. But you, you, you do this. Uh, yes. Can I help you? Do you believe... That the tribulation starts immediately after the rapture, like minutes later? Or do you believe that it might be as long as 18 days later? I said, you really have that question? <laughs> yeah, I was reading this. I'll talk to you after class. 
I'll talk to you after class, but right now we're going through the schedule. Oh, okay. And in the back of my mind, I stored a little snippet of information. This guy's a wise guy. (laughs) That wasn't really true. He just enjoyed those kinds of questions, and he accepted the answers. And so it wasn't really that he was just trying to interrupt class. But that was my first, that was my first idea. And among young people, there are some that already think, I know everything. I know everything. I'm a, I'm a newbie here at, uh, pick a place, I'm a newbie here at uh, Lowe's uh, uh, um, Hardware and Lumber and all that, you know, Lowe's uh, home, home Center. I'm a newbie here. Might as well make me the manager. I've got it all figured out. These guys are not efficient at all. Of course, that's why when I go to Home Depot, which is closer to my home than Lowe's, when I go to Home Depot and I need advice about something in plumbing, I look for the oldest guy in plumbing. You! I've got a question. 18-year-old next to me says, I can answer that. No, no. You stay away. You, I need the question. So our world, our world, and if you're young, please, I'm not making judgments. I'm just saying it's so easy. And in a culture where, where maturity and experience isn't, isn't considered a plus, that's different than in Jesus' time. So the, the idea of experiences feeding lessons... And the idea that folks with more experience are good examples for the lessons and good examples for personal, for personal mentorship was a part of the culture. It didn't have to be justified. It didn't have to be explained. It, it was just part of how folks thought. So when we come to the New Testament, all that is built in. All that is built in. And so, there's a concept I'm going to concentrate on today. It's been a long introduction, but a concept I'm going to concentrate on today, and I'm going to use the term fellowship. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you're 25 or under, 25 or under, don't raise your hand, are you anticipating, and would your goals include being a leader someday? I think that's a great thing, to have goals of wanting to be a leader, a leader on the bus route, a leader in Sunday school, a leader among the teen group as a teenager, a leader as a teacher, a leader as a a, uh, vocationally trained person, a a, a master craftsman, but but thinking, well, I want to be in charge someday. The word entrepreneurial is a word people are understanding pretty basically now, an entrepreneur. Someone who has their own business and their own schedule. Someone say, I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay, great. So if that's your thinking, I'd like to be that someday. I have to ask a follow-up. Are you willing to have fellowship? Because in the time of Jesus, you didn't become the leader till you'd been the follower. You didn't become the supervisor at the end of the assembly line until you'd worked on the assembly line. 
Now, that's an up-to-date thing. That's not Jesus' day. No assembly line, so to speak. But this concept of fellowship, I think that there are some Christians today, whether they're a new Christian, and they're 50 years old, but a new Christian, they've just been born again, or whether they're a young Christian, meaning an age, that there are some Christians today that really want to be leaders, but they don't want to be followers. And there are certainly folks in our culture, aside from our faith in Christ, certainly folks in our culture, young people, who want to take control and run things. And they may have some ideas that are good and solid. They may have some ideas that are technically called wacko. But they, we're going to do it now. I'm 18 and I'm going to run the world now. Here's what we're going to do. And sometimes those choices and those thoughts are so immature, so ill-advised and unworkable. But our culture today, the 21st century culture, basically says, if you're, well, I remember in the 1960s, I know most of you, that's a page in the history book, but I remember in the 1960s, it was don't trust anyone over 30. Don't trust anybody over 30. And uh, I was on, in the 1960s, I was in college, so it was one of the people that didn't trust anybody over 30. And I don't know what it is now, but it's more like don't trust anybody over 22. I'm not sure. But there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of persuasion in our culture in America today that, look, All young people have the answers to everything. And so just rest control of institutions now because your answers work. Well, your answers may be unproven, untried. They may have been tested before and failed even, but you're not aware of that. So when it comes to the Christian life, someone gets saved, they're young, They're used to thinking in terms of, my boss doesn't know anything. They're used to thinking in terms of, these people are older, they don't know anything. They're not in, they're not whatever the words are today. They're not not aware. They don't even know what Instagram is. And I think, I don't know what it is either, but I think Instagram is old hat now. I'm sure there are other stuff. I hear other words, you know, coming along. And uh, I, I have gotten past MySpace, by the way. Um, Okay, so what I want to talk about is fellowship. So I've used half the time to talk about getting you there, and I'll I'll, I'll go a little more more paced toward fellowship. I ask you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 10. So join me, if you would, in John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Now, I do have to tell you that as pastor here at White Oak years ago, our service started at 11 and I got finished at 12.15. It's hard to break those old habits. Anyway, John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. So they belong to him. He knows who they are. He knows every person's name in this room. He knows every detail about your life. Everyone looking in, 
on streaming. He knows you, your life, your desires, your challenges, your strengths, your weaknesses. And he knows immediately whether you have received Christ himself as Savior. He knows if you're saved or not. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. So they heard his voice. That means he called to them, get saved. He called to them, I'm the Redeemer. He called to them, I gave my blood to pay for your sins. He called to them, all you have to do is trust me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then we come to the third phrase. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they, what's the next word? Follow me. Wow. Wow. Who would have thought that? Well, actually, everyone in Jesus' time would have thought that. If you had a leader, you followed the leader. You weren't looking to lead on your own. You weren't looking to come up with all new ideas and philosophies. You weren't looking to abandon everything in the past and press out. You say, well, Christianity abandoned. No, no. Christ fulfilled the laws of Moses. He didn't abandon them. He fulfilled them and then built on them for the relationship we have in this New Testament era where the Holy Spirit lives within us and guides us, where the Scriptures were complete and fulfilled at the end of the first century, and we have the Bible recorded for us. So, so no, He didn't abandon. He fulfilled. And the concept that you would follow Christ was automatic. Well, I don't know if I... I got saved, thank you. I, I, I meant that, and, and a person may mean it. But afterwards, voices, parents... Uh, uh, family members, people at work. Uh, when I went to work the day after I got saved on a Sunday service and I told people I got saved, it wasn't all received with joy and, and uh, expression of gratitude. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. You know, most of it was like, you're crazy. Most of it was like, oh, religion. Most of us, what are you talking about? Dismissed. Well, when that happens, sometimes a Christian can get discouraged and they don't follow. When they, they wonder, what should I do? The Scripture says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The first step of fellowship is get saved and seek to please Jesus. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. They follow me, and I give them security. Follow Christ immediately after salvation. Follow Him in faith, and He will meet your needs and give you security. Follow Him. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, the first step of fellowship is this. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. For time, I'll just go and read some of these. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. You say, well, that's Peter's word, the preaching. Yes, but we also know from John that the word is a name and a title given to the Lord Jesus. And I think sometimes either meaning could be appropriate. 
They that gladly received his word. Peter's instructions or Peter's instructions to receive Savior or the Savior whom Peter instructed to receive. They received his word. That's Jesus. And the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. And I, I missed a phrase. They that gladly received his word were, what's the next step of fellowship? Baptism. Were baptized. This is White Oak Baptist Church. Now, I know that community churches may preach the gospel clearly. I know that Bible churches or fellowships might do that. I know that churches that, that, that don't use that term, Baptist, might be very Baptistic. I am not slandering all folks that say we don't have a Baptist in our name. But what I am saying is this. If Baptist is in the name of the church, then baptism should be a part of the Christian life. That's where the name came from. An emphasis on fellowship in faith to receive Christ and then a fellowship in surrender or obedience to be baptized in the mode and method of the Bible in which Jesus was baptized, immersion. It's symbolic. It doesn't add to salvation. It doesn't take away if you're not baptized. But it's a part of the fellowship. I want to be used of God. I've actually heard testimony or heard conversation given to me. I want to be used of God. I want to do this. I, want to, I really believe God would have me in certain ministry. And, and, so, and so, okay, so fine. What church are you a member of? Oh, I'm not a member of a church. Oh. Well, have you considered uh, what, why not? Well, I just, the Holy Spirit's working with me, and I'm just, I'm sold out to Jesus. If you're sold out to Jesus, you're not going to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If you're sold out to Jesus, you're going to obey Him and His example, and you're going to be baptized, you're going to be part of the assembly that Acts chapter 2 talked about. Added to the church daily. So, fellowship has to do with faith, getting saved. Fellowship has to do with baptism, and yielding to the reality, the truth, that you're part of a Christian community, only I'm not thinking of geography, I'm thinking of a Christian community of believers called an ecclesia, a church. And part of being that is you've all had a common experience, salvation, and a common experience of obedience, baptism. That's the second step. Followed in obedient baptism. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. I'll have you turn to that one. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus... Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's that, that's that oriental culture and philosophy Jesus could say, follow me, and I will show you, and I will lead you, and I will guide you, and it will be an example in bringing 
unrepentant sinners into repentance and faith in me. All he had to say is, I'll make you fishers of men. Do you think they thought soul winning would be hard? Well, was fishing hard? Those Those of you who've had the privilege of leading a soul to Christ... Perhaps several souls over a period of time. Let me ask you this. Is it always exceptionally easy? Well, it might be easier to witness than we make it, but it's not always easy to win a soul to Christ. What do some folks do? Some folks reject right away. I used to have a method here in Stratford and and in Southington, as I went down the street going door to door, and that's one method of soul winning, going door to door, I put the, the house number, and if nobody answered, I put NH, not home. I wanted to know no one had answered that door. If someone answered and they were interested in anything, I just noted that. So, if I went back to the same street the next week, I went to the houses that were NH, I did not go back necessarily to the houses that said, no, I'm not interested, I'm a member of this, get off my property, or no, I'm not interested, or oh, thank you for coming, but I'm a member of, of such and such, and they preach the gospel. And I didn't go back to those, but folks that had listened but not necessarily responded, I went back again. Hey, I was thinking about you this week. I brought you some something I think you'd like to read. Oh, it's you again. Yeah. And so uh, I'd really like you to read this. This is about salvation. It expresses it really well, better than I could. Oh, okay. So what are you doing right now? Uh, I'm, I'm getting breakfast. Okay, well, I'll leave you to your breakfast, but read this over. Go back the third week. Did you read that? Oh, I got another one for you. Two things, one of two things would happen. After a few weeks, they'd say, stop coming back. It happens. Or they say, you know, I finally read one of those things, and I've got a question. Yes. Not everybody gets saved right away. Fishermen go out day after day after day. It's laborious, but they catch fish. Do they catch all the fish? No, they don't catch all the fish. The week before our first service, In 1980, the week before, during the midweek, a a gentleman and his family had come from Michigan, from my home church, and they were helping us. And we, so he and I were out soul winning. We knocked, we knocked on a door, and we heard a voice, a a gentle voice from the side of the house. Can I help you? What? Come around the side. So we came around the side. And there was a uh, young mother sitting on the stoop, you know, a couple, couple steps up, sitting on the stoop with a baby carriage. And she was rocking the baby carriage back and forth. We said, well, we're out visiting for a brand new church, White Oak Baptist Church. We're going to meet right down the street here. And we wanted to invite you to come. She said, oh, well, that's interesting. Yes? Do you have a church home now? No. Well, my husband does, and I go, 
But she said, I, I was watching, and she named a TV evangelist. I was watching, it was Billy Graham. I was watching Billy Graham on TV last night. And this morning I wrote a letter, and I just walked up to the mailbox with my daughter. I just walked, walked up and, and mailed the letter to Billy Graham asking him how I could get saved. I said, well, I'm sure Dr. Graham will probably send you some stuff, but God sent us here ahead of time because I believed it. She got saved on the spot. Sometimes big fish instantly. Sometimes no fish after hours. When he said, I'll make you fishers of men, there's built in the sense of great victory and the sense of hard work. If we're going to follow him and witness to others, whether that's handing out tracts, whether that, however that is, it may not be working on a bus route, it may, but however it might be that we witness to people, following Christ requires taking that step. Not to be saved, just to mature, just to fulfill the Great Commission. Following faith, following an obedient baptism, following in soul winning, or should I just say soul consciousness. Being aware that lost souls are around us and doing what we can to be a witness appropriately. Then, Mark chapter 3, verse 34, one verse I'll read to you. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever shall come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Following Christ in daily decisions, following what he wants for our lives. Well, we need to be saved. And if we're going to have fruit in our lives, I believe we need to take that first obedient statement, uh, 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 the obedient step, and not be ashamed of Christ and allow others to know I've, I've, been, I've been saved and I'm willing to go in the waters of baptism and, and obey him. And, of course, we need to be conscious of others because the Great Commission is about hearing the Scriptures and responding, about being baptized, and then doing the same things that others before us in generations have done. And so, fellowship has to do with making daily decisions. A few years ago, it was very popular to wear a little bracelet or something like that. And it said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It was kind of corny, but at the same time, hey, there's nothing wrong with asking what would Jesus do. And so fellowship has to do with allowing Christ to have enough of our life that we actually consider what should a Christian do in this case? What should my behavior be like? What should? And it's not all about giving up stuff. I mean, that may be part of it, but... But if the Lord urges your heart to send a thank you note to somebody today, somebody that helped you in Sunday school, somebody that picked you up to come to church, somebody in your neighborhood that brought something by, and the Lord urges you to send a thank you note, what would Jesus do? I don't have time for that. I don't want to start a relationship here. I don't want him to feel that I'm... Do you think that's how Jesus would think? He'd say, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. Because if I can converse, if I can communicate with someone, and they're not saved, I can encourage them to get saved. If they are saved, I can encourage them in their Christian walk. 
So, following in his daily decisions. Now, we've arrived in the stream of humanity's progress in a unique time and circumstance and in a unique attitude. And 21st century America is overconfident in individuals. Individuals are overconfident in themselves, that is. And sometimes think they don't need anyone. I don't need anybody. I don't need a mentor. I don't need a friend. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to be the president or I'm going to be uh, an important uh, financier or I'm going to be this or that or the other thing. And I don't need anyone. That is completely alien to the New Testament Bible viewpoint. Where without Jesus you can do nothing. So here's an oasis. White Oak Baptist Church and every church that preaches the gospel clearly and, 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 and studies the Bible and, and uplifts the Lord, this is a safe place. This is an oasis. This is a place where you can, you can honestly say, I accept help. I will be the help to some, and I'll accept help from others. But accepting our role as a part of the Christian fellowship And then we look around. I'm going to finish with this. Some years ago, I had had an opportunity to have uh, a meal with uh, John R. Rice. John R. Rice, some of you know who he is, many of you don't. He was the founding evangelist for the Sword of the Lord newspaper. And he preached across the country. And his theme was John 3.16. His theme was the gospel of Christ number one, and number two, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I had an opportunity to have a a meal with him, and we were talking. And the question came up, there were several of us, the question came up, how do you know you're a leader? And I think the intent of the question was someone really asking, How do I know if God wants me to be a leader? But that isn't the question that was asked. How do I know I'm a leader? And Dr. Rice used to chew on the bow of his glasses. Not a good habit. But he took his glasses off, and he looked down, and he said, if you look behind you and people are following, you're a leader. (laughs) I want to be a leader. It'll happen if you become the follower. And sometimes, suddenly, it will dawn on you, I've looked behind me and people are following me. Well, then that was leadership that God has created because you learn how to be a follower. No fellowship, sorry. No seminars, no webinars, no self-help books will ever make you a leader if you've never been a follower. So today I ask you to consider, do you have the right spirit as a follower? Are you willing to take advice and seek it? Are you willing to see how others of experience can be a help? Are you willing to give yourself in those areas of uh, baptism and soul winning and and, 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 uh, consistency in your Christian walk? But can you see that in the context that Everyone in the New Testament era in the Bible would assume that to be a better Christian, 
they'd have to follow another Christian. Paul put it this way, Those things which ye have learned and heard and seen and received in me do. He wasn't, he wasn't humble in the sense of saying, oh no, I can't be a, an example. No, no, he, he knew he was an example. But at the same time, he had spent three years in the desert with the Lord. He had been, let's, uh, let's say an apprentice, an apprentice in his first missionary journey and then became the lead missionary, Paul had been a follower. And then God made him into a leader. Would you like to have the blessings of God? Accept the role of fellowship, because none of us have become leaders in every area of life. I'm sorry. None of us has reached the point where, hey, look, name something about my life, I've got it. I've got it under control. No, I'm sorry. So seek to be a follower. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the message today. Help it be received in the right light, not as criticism at all, but a reminder that our spirit is always, is always subservient to you. And that we should always want to have uh, that sense that we're following wisdom from the Holy Spirit. We're following exampleship from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're following the words and teachings of the Bible that we're following. And then the victories and the leadership are a natural outpouring. Thank you, Lord, for the time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.